Welcome to the St. Edward's Podcast, a church filled with the Holy Spirit. We hope that today's words will draw you closer to Christ Jesus. We are at the last Sunday of October. Can you believe it? It's flying by. This is our fourth and final week in 2 Timothy, as our lectionary has taken us through the epistle. And just as we are at the end of the book and the end of October, we are also on the verge of the end of a baseball season. <laughs> Way back in the month of March, 30 teams embarked on a baseball season, and they all had the same goal, some more hopeful than others, and that is this, to win a championship. And two teams remain. The players on each team long for a championship. And that longing for the pinnacle of their sport is what drove them through the difficult times during the seven-month-long season, playing through injuries and slumps and other difficulties. They long for the moment that is before them right now. Well, in our second reading, St. Paul, in probably his latest, his latest letter that we have in the canon of Scripture, talks about his longing as he nears the end of his life. St. Paul also uses a sports analogy for this. He wrote, In the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. Paul was near the end of his life, and he knew it. He gave it his all. He kept the faith. He was looking toward the future, his eyes on the prize, we might say. And he goes on to write in the next verse, these words, from now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Twice St. Paul mentions righteousness, a crown of righteousness, and also the Lord as the righteous judge. Now, we may think of righteousness in a judgmental way, a holier than than thou kind of thing, as a way we are supposed to live but seemingly miserably fail to live up to that expectation of righteousness. But that's not what Paul has in mind here. He is talking about a future righteousness, one made available by the righteous judge. That would be a stark contrast to the current judge in Paul's day when he wrote this letter, the emperor of the time, whose name was Nero. Many of you are probably familiar with him. Nero, who killed his family members, forced sexual activities, and persecuted Christians, ruled the day. And there was little that was right about his rule. And Paul was looking forward to the day when all would be set at rights, when the righteous judge would return. And he suggests that as Christians, we long for that day. That is the moment we are looking forward to, a longing for the day of Jesus appearing, when all of creation will be made right. And that word Paul used, translated as longed for, in the Greek it is the word agape. Agape, which we're probably familiar with, is, is normally translated as love, meaning sacrificial love. And this verb refers to a kind of love that expresses personal will and affection rather than emotions and feelings. There's other Greek words for those. It is a love that is committed to 
even is committed even if emotions and feelings are saying something different. It's still committed. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that a crown of righteousness is coming to him, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Those who have committed themselves to God sacrificially, no matter what through thick or thin. The book of Revelation describes these people who give up their life for the one to come. As, it, as the John the Revelator wrote, they love not their lives unto death. Longing for the day that Christ appears. Loving that day for the return of Jesus, who will make all things right as the righteous judge. And if that is our goal, if that is our future, if that is our focus, we may ask ourselves, what are we focused on? What has our attention? So often we become so distracted by the things of this world, whether it's money or, or life events, they so entangle us in the web of distraction. Politics, politics of our day, demand that we are to be passionate, possibly even rage, that we are to act accordingly. Marketing suggests that happiness is gained through consumerism. Entertainment claims that we must pay attention to keep up with the times, or we'll just fall behind. Some psychology preaches that we need to focus on ourselves and find inner happiness. We are called and prodded and nudged and stimulated to thinking that so much of what goes on in this world is more important than anything else. Demands our attention. You must pay attention to this. You must watch this. And yet our eyes should be set on the appearing of our Lord Jesus. As the psalmist in Psalm 27, 8 wrote, You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Do we seek the Lord's face? Do we seek that future glory with our Lord? As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This week I had spent some time reading a book by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. And in the book, he writes about our struggle between the future glory of God and our love with this world. And early in the essay, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. He said, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I agree with Lewis here. We, at least, at least I know I am, are far too easily pleased. I would say distracted with the things, the ways, of our society. We settle for so much. How many times have you picked up your phone to, to check something real quick and next thing you know it was 45 minutes on social media? We chase too many things that this world offers. We give our attention to so many things that are rubbish. When instead the biblical story would suggest that it is our hope in our future resurrection 
and the new heavens and the new earth that should shape how we behave in our current world. It doesn't mean we fail to enjoy life. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we forget and neglect everything in the here and now because we look forward to glory with Christ. So it doesn't matter. Just the opposite would be true. We care very deeply about the things in the here and now because we are looking through the lens of expectation of the coming of the righteous judge. We care how people treat other people. We should care very deeply about that. We care how people treat this earth that God called good. We care what happens, but we also don't put our hope in worldly powers because our hope is shaped by someone eternal. Our hope, our longing for the appearing of Christ shapes the way we live both publicly and privately. In the fourth century, there was an archbishop, John Chrysostom. His name means golden tongued. He was a powerful preacher. And he wrote these words concerning our reading from 2 Timothy. He, he says, but how it may be asked is one to love the appearing of Christ by rejoicing at his coming. And he who rejoices at his coming will perform works worthy of his joy. He will throw away his substance if need be and even his life so that he may obtain future blessings that he may be thought worthy to behold that second coming in a fitting state, in confidence and brightness and glory. That is to love his appearing. He who loves his appearing will do everything to ensure before his general coming, a particular coming to himself. In other words, we'll be getting ready because the king is coming. So do our actions reflect that longing? That longing for Christ appearing for that day, as St. Paul wrote, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I want to turn again to C.S. Lewis, this time a different book in the Chronicles of Narnia. In the last book entitled The Last Battle, at the very end of the book, Lewis writes of the end of the age of Narnia as well as the Pevensey children who died in a railway accident. And in this fantastical story, the children appear in Narnia on the edge of the new heaven and the new earth. And C.S. Lewis, these are the last words of the Chronicles of Narnia. And, when he, and these are the words that he finished the whole seven book series up with. He says this. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. 
You see, this life as we know it is only a shadow of the things to come. Real life begins, the real story begins when we enter into the glory of God. A beatific vision, seeing God as he is revealed to us. A second century Bishop of Lyon, Saint Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And that begins when we leave these shadow lands for the real glory of God to be revealed in his appearing. May I ask, what is it that we long for? Is it heavenward? Is it eternal? Is it to see Jesus? Or do we mire in the mud, making mud pies, focusing on the pleasures of this world? Oh, that we may look up, looking heavenward, even during the tribulations of this world. And may we say with Paul at the end of our reading from 2 Timothy, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. And to this we can say with Paul, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this conversation today. We will continue to pray that our teachings are impacting you for the kingdom of God. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can find us on stedwardsepiscopal.com or on Facebook. And of course, we'd love for you to visit us in beautiful Mount Dora. May God's grace fill you as you go in peace.